to the NFL Strategy Show presented by Asimo.com. Uh, sponsor of the show, No House Advantage. Man, yesterday's slate was uh, was a wild one, and a lot of the, the popular plays didn't really come through for us, so it should be uh, fun to one to break down. I'm joined today by the perfect person to help make fun of some of these lineups that won. Adam, should my money share? Adam, how you doing, man? Doing pretty well. Uh, looking forward to talking about everything that went wrong yesterday because uh, I think it'll be pretty easy to fill an hour doing so. Definitely, yeah. This is it's going to be one of the easiest shows ever, and hopefully uh, we can all commiserate. Or if uh, if you had some winners yesterday, I, I don't think it was as bad as uh, I was making it out to be, but uh, it was definitely an interesting slate. So, guys, before we really get going here, if you can give us a like that positive feedback helps me and Adam give our best takes and hit the subscribe button so we can get uh, notifications about all of our content. And also we got a lot of free content on Osmo.com today, the Monday night football player rankings, NBA main slate ownership and NHL player rankings. Uh, and Adam's DFS article for NBA, the deep dive is free every day. So uh, let's talk about the, the Millie maker lineup yesterday that won. I mean, the first thing that I noticed when I, I pulled up the uh, list of the highest performing players is that, like, at at least through one game, like, all the highest performers were, like, one or two or 3% owned. So uh, that was a wild one. The The winner was Jackson 205, so congrats, Jackson. He only had two entries and won a million bucks. So that was a pretty pretty nice result for him. He had the Cam Newton sack with uh, tight end Tommy Tremble. So a little bit off the board with Tommy Tremble, but it was really Cam Newton that got the job done for him. And then he ran it back with Terry McLaurin. So what did, what did you think about Cam Newton yesterday? I thought he was a good play. I mean, the difficult part with Newton that like uh, Josh and I talked about on the show yesterday morning was like, do you play him naked? Do you stack him? Who do you stack him with? Because I think the biggest question, there wasn't really a question about like, was he going to get goal line work? you know, and, and give you rushing uh, touchdown equity. It was what's he capable of doing in the passing game? You know, we saw him look just absolutely horrible with New England last year. So, you know, it was kind of just like, do you pair him with DJ Moore? Do you pair him with McCaffrey? Do you just play him naked and hope he runs for a couple of touchdowns? But um, he ended up, you know, DJ Moore had a decent game. McCaffrey had a decent game. Uh, Tommy Tremble, obviously, in the Millie winning lineup. So, um, that, you know, good good play. Uh, Cam, I thought was a good play. Uh, obviously, he didn't – this lineup didn't allocate – much money to the stack, which I think is fine considering the questions that we had. Yeah, definitely. Got Matt Riley in the chat. He says, I love hearing all the ways I sucked yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much why we're here. So uh, this one will be fun. Yeah, Cam Newton is interesting because there were these reports that were like, he might not play all the snaps. He doesn't know the playbook. I feel like uh, sometimes like those reports are really unreliable and that ended up being the case where Cam, uh, he did play 100% of the snaps uh, and had a big game. Uh, it looks like the ownership we have on this one, uh, we'll have to wait until we get to the slant because I don't think he was 17% on. I think we only got a partial set of lineups here. So um, a little bit, uh, I, I, I thought everyone was going to be really excited to play Cam on his first game back. And uh Although, let me pull up his ownership in the slant. Just 6%. 6%. Okay, that was more what I thought. So, uh, Jonathan Taylor, 
was obviously one of the key guys yesterday and in a tough matchup versus Buffalo. Indiana was a seven-point underdog. And on the shows, we were kind of like, this guy could break the slate if this if this goes the right way. Uh, but like that happened to an even like crazier extent that any of us realized possible. Like he got 56 points, uh, four or five touchdowns. I can't even remember, but five. five. Yeah. So that, uh, that was an outlier performance. If you ever see one and the logic behind the play, I think was really solid that you can get a guy that's probably the leading fantasy scorer on the year for running backs at like a much lower ownership than he normally is. His ownership only came in at 3% in the slant. So uh, did you end up getting to Jonathan Taylor or was that just too much of a contrarian play for you? Yeah, I ended up not really getting to him. It wasn't that I, you know, disliked him. Like I, I, I think he was a good, he, he's like the definition of a great tournament play. I think uh, anytime you can get someone with that level of talent and that level of a workload at, low ownership it, it's a good tournament play you know obviously there's a lot of good tournament plays any given week and so you don't necessarily end up rostering all of them but you know i i thought that was just it's an example of you know yeah it was a difficult matchup um there were plenty of risks there but you sort of just saw the field shy away from him you know basically across the board for for because of those risks and you know sort of ignore the upside so um i didn't get to him but thought that you know it was a very good play if you were able to I agree. Yeah, it was a tough position because there are a lot of cheap running backs this week that everyone want to play. Then you got Jonathan Taylor and kind of a tougher matchup uh, as an underdog and a lot more expensive. So from a uh, projection standpoint, like having him wasn't a good way to optimize that. But the upside, as we saw, was ridiculous. So uh, I feel like it's a good contrarian play. The one thing I think um, in my process is like there's a lot of different ways to get contrarian, and I had him a couple in like 1% of lineups, I think. But, uh, I mean, there, there's it, – it's like there, you can find a good lineup with anyone, and right. it's all about like how do you like maximize your chances of winning – in retrospect, do you feel like Taylor was under-owned or was he owned the right amount? I mean, I, I think he was owned the right amount. Like, it, it's tough because, like you were saying, it all comes down to your entire lineup. And so, you know, I, I thought that Taylor had, you know, like a 5 to 6% chance of, of being in the optimal lineup. Um, I don't remember what we had the what we had him at in the, the boom-bust tool. But, um, like, if he were higher-owned, I think he would have been a bad play, basically, you know, because – he did have all these things working against him. The reason he was a good play is because he was really low owned. So, you know, I think that it made, it made all the sense in the world for the ownership to be low. It's not a situation where like, I think the field made a massive mistake and just like everybody was wrong about Taylor. You know, it's just, you got his absolute ceiling outcome. Uh, he, he had a really good game anyway, but then, you know, he also benefited from Josh Allen turning the ball over a couple of times in his own territory. So, you know, just got more quick touchdowns. Um, so, you know, it's a, it's a situation where I think the ownership was where it should be, um, but he had a great outcome and that's why you look to get some low owned high upside guys in your lineup and just basically, you know, hope for the best. And then they worked out with Taylor here. Definitely. I mean, it was Taylor and Justin Jefferson that, that won this for him. It really wasn't all the players. Uh, Elijah Moore as well. But Miles Sanders, uh, his second running back, 
now no one had him and he didn't do well so like he won this in spite of miles sanders having a very mediocre game and not because of it however miles sanders was 5k and all the chalk value running backs were slightly more you had jeff wilson at 5100 uh you had uh uh mark ingram at 5400 and uh Montgomery at 5,500. So uh, Sanders, it was kind of a weird spot. Like I think it was his first game coming back from injury and uh, Philadelphia has been running the ball a lot. So that's benefited the running backs. However, they did make a commitment to Jordan Howard uh, and signing him to the 53 man roster. But how do you feel about guys coming back from injury in general? And then how do you feel about Sanders yesterday? I always think that they're interesting when they're low owned because um, with Sanders yesterday, I thought he was a really interesting tournament play. I ended up with like 5% um, just because I thought there was a legitimate question mark about how much he would play. Um, They did have Gainwell inactive, which I thought was a positive sign. Um, But it was a situation where I thought there was a lot of uncertainty, but the field basically was just writing him off entirely. You know, he was like half a percent owned or something like that. So I thought it was, you know, there was just a little bit, there was a better chance of him getting a lot of work than the field was giving him credit for. He ended up running, rushing for 94 yards, had a fumble that, that hurt, but um, you know, the, the workload was there uh, and he was 5k. And so like, like we were saying, when we talked about Taylor, there were a lot of cheap running backs yesterday, which is what made it so difficult to get to Jonathan Taylor. But I liked getting to some Sanders and just saying, you know what? I realized Jeff Wilson's a better play. He projects better. There's more certainty there. You know, guys like Montgomery uh, Ingram, same thing, but in some lineups where I need a more contrarian piece, I think that Miles Sanders still gives you a ceiling, even though there is some uncertainty there. So um, I I like going to guys coming back from injury in situations like that, where, you know, the field as a whole collectively is basically just deciding like, Oh, this guy isn't going to get a full workload when really we we have no idea. Yeah. It's always a lot of uncertainty. So in regards to the, projection sometimes there's like more volatility in that which can benefit you in gpp so it's always good to take advantage of uh in this case is just the thesis of the play was who who else you can get in the lineup with them clearly so let's uh, let's move down to elijah moore now this was really interesting because he uh he'd only been playing about 50 to 60 percent of the dropbacks and I didn't expect that to really change after a week where he went three of six or 44. However, I guess the quarterback switch to Joe Flacco uh, was all he needed to have a big game. Now, the um, I don't think there were very many uh, cheap run, uh, wide receivers that projected very well. But Elijah Moore was a little bit off the board, uh, in my opinion. So did you get to any of him? No, I didn't, which was disappointing since I did have so much of Miami and, you know, was running it back with some, uh, some jets, but no, I, I did not get to him. Uh, you know, wish I had obviously. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, there's so much volatility inherent in the wide receiver position. So no one's ever out of play. However, this one was a deep sleeper. Uh, Justin Jefferson, really expensive at 8,100. Uh, but I mean, he's been one of the best wide receivers of the past year. Uh, against Green Bay, the matchup, they're a little bit of underdogs, so maybe that could have slanted more to passing production, but uh, it just he just had a, a spike week uh, for sure. Like uh, 
I, I didn't really see it coming, but did, did you have any uh, thoughts about Justin Jefferson? I didn't roster him. I actually pointed him out on the strategy show, though. Like, I, I thought he was very similar to Jonathan Taylor, like the, the same sort of play where he didn't project quite as well as some other guys in his price range. Uh, you know, you had Devontae Adams up there that obviously people were prioritizing. You had Tyreek Hill up there, but he was projected for about 3% ownership. He came in at about 3% owned. And I, the reason I'd pointed him out on the strategy show, it wasn't that I thought he was like a great play in terms of chances of success or somebody that I was building around. Clearly I ended up not even getting to him, but um, just anytime you have somebody with that level of talent getting no ownership because players around him, like Hill and Adams project better, it just becomes an opportunity in tournaments. You know, again, there's a lot of, there's a lot of good tournament plays. So it's not like you have to grab every one of these, but when you have someone that talented that gets the level of work that, that Jefferson does um, his ceiling is just as high as anyone else's, even if he's a little bit less likely to hit it. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, I think that any wide receiver in this price range is going to have a enormous ceiling. So uh, sometimes just playing the ownership and getting someone that's low owned uh, can pay off in spades. And that's what we saw. He was only 3% owned in the, the slant. So no one really wanted to pay, pay up for him compared to Devontae Adams in the same game at 20%. So I didn't end up getting to any Justin Jefferson, but I didn't uh, dislike the play. It looks like in the slant, uh, it looks like uh, not many people were on him. Now, uh, Swift was a guy that's definitely off the radar for me because Cleveland, they were such a big favorite, and Jamal Williams was coming back, uh, just threatened his workload, but he ended up having the breakout week. It just sucked that it wasn't one of the two weeks that we rostered him. Did you end up having any Swift? Um, actually, I'm not sure. If I did, I didn't have a lot. Uh, trying to look now. Um. How many fantasy points did he score? Oh, never mind. Yeah, 25. I, I did not have any Swift. Looks like, uh, yeah, he was only 2.7% on, so off the board. But uh, this guy's strategy, Jackson 205, of uh, just paying up on guys that no one else was on really paid off. Uh, he went cheap on guys that were low on, too. So uh, now the Lions defense, he did the correlation with Swift. That was... Uh, that definitely paid off as Baker Mayfield had a really rough game, but it was funny because the Lions still lost the game. Now, uh, Baker is pretty, pretty inconsistent. So I think that that was a pretty good contrary and play to, to pick the Lions defense at 2100. What do you think? Yeah. And uh, we had reports too, that Mayfield was playing through injury as well. So you have an inconsistent quarterback on his best day, you know, playing through injury and yeah, I mean, defense, I'm just never, it doesn't really matter who the defense is. I'm never going to sit. I'm never going to like have a problem with somebody just spending as little as they can at the position because there's so much volatility there. Uh, you know, there's, it, it's not the way scoring set up. It's not about necessarily just not allowing points. Uh, you know, there's just a lot of volatility because of the scoring. So I think paying down in defenses, you know, getting low owned cheap defenses is pretty much typically what I think you should be doing. Agreed. Yeah. I had a lot of the chiefs defense, which was interesting because Dallas was so popular. So I was trying to do that strategy, but just in a different spot. That didn't pay off nearly as well. But uh, actually, I think the Chiefs did pretty well. Yeah, they had, they were one of the best defenses. Nice. Uh, we're going to look at the slant ownership and compare some different pros. But before we do, we got a special promo going on Black Friday. The NFL Express Weekly Pass, uh, you can get for only $1 for the first week using the promo code STUFFING. 
has the rankings, ownership rankings, the lineup builder for uh, the full slates. And then we have everything with NFL showdown and single game and tiers. So uh, we're going to have a lot of good showdown slates this week with Thanksgiving. So you can take advantage of those for only $1 worth stuffing. Uh, and it's only valid through Friday. So make sure to take advantage of that. Let's go over to the slant. Uh, now, uh, the highest, let's start from highest to lowest owned. The highest on play, it was interesting. AJ Dillon at 43%, but looks like both of us were under the field a little bit on AJ Dillon. Was that just because uh, you like the other cheap running backs more? Yeah, I think it was a couple of things. Um, I ended up playing a lot of Jeff Wilson. And so once you were getting, or once I was getting a lot of Jeff Wilson at that ownership in lineups, you know, I don't really want, it, it makes it difficult to be getting a lot of AJ Dillon as well because you're just playing really chalky lineups at that point, uh, potentially. So um, I think it was just that Wilson was a little bit cheaper. They projected similarly. Uh, so I was getting there. And then also, um, not that I had a rule set against playing Adams and Dillon together, but, um, you know, obviously not not ideal having them both in, in a lot of lineups. So I think um, how much Adams I got to probably drove Dillon down a little bit too. Nice. Uh, yeah, that makes sense to not want to play the running back and wide receiver in the same lineup. So – uh dylan ended up doing fine but uh yeah this i guess the optimal lineup construction just you needed jonathan taylor and swift basically so it was uh it was a tough day to to get some value because the the running backs at the high end kind of overperformed now uh jeff wilson were you were you tilted when he dropped that touchdown or he he uh Jimmy G missed the pass where Jeff Wilson was wide open in the end zone. Did you tilt over that? Yeah, so I didn't see it. I saw a tweet about it, and that's about when I decided to go to the bar. <laughs> yeah, that's always a good solution. Now, uh, Michael Gallup with uh, no Amari Cooper stood out as someone that would get a bump in the workload. He was 4,200, so there really weren't very many spend-down wide receivers he ended up being really, really popular at 36%. Uh, it looks like uh, you were under the field. I was under the field. So uh, I feel like anytime you got an uh, inconsistent wide receiver at that ownership, it's kind of an intriguing fade. Is that how you played it? Yeah, and I, I thought that game in general was interesting because like on the show with Josh in the morning, I'd said that I liked getting to the Dallas side because uh, we didn't have a ton of ownership going to Dak. But what I think ended up happening was the other pieces in that game were so popular that if I was you know stacking that game, it was just really difficult to make contrarian plays uh, around that game. You, know, you had so much ownership going to Gallup. You had so much going to Hill. So I just kind of ended up being underweight on pretty much all of it and unfortunately loading up on the Raiders game instead. But um, I, I think it was a situation where like not only was Gallup really, really popular. And like you said, it's, it's still a volatile spot. Um, and I don't really want to be getting to volatile players at that ownership level anyway, but also like the players that positively correlated with him were also extremely popular. So um, it was just difficult to build contrarian lineups. I think that revolved around that game. Agreed. Yeah. Uh, we see that time and time again, that, if you want to stack the the chalk quarterbacks and they're they're expensive, like that random cheap wide receiver in the game is always a lot more popular than you'd expect. So uh, it's happened a lot with Nicole Hardman this year on the Kansas City side, where 
like that really negates the advantage you're getting of salary relief if everyone has them. So uh, that being said, the winner of this tournament, Mossy, uh, uh, a guy that's always uh, fun to to see on the, the Twitter streets, uh, he had 52% gallop. So he just made it happen in those other lineups. I, I assume he wasn't in the winning lineup, but... Um, he was not. No, no, okay. he was. He was. Oh, he was. Okay. So in the slant, you don't need to get every pick right. And in the Millie Maker, you didn't even this week. So, yeah. well, he also uh, just had a ridiculously like he had Zach Ertz, he had uh, Jefferson, he had Valdez Scantling. Nice. So he didn't have, wow, he won without Jonathan Taylor. That's not surprising because Jonathan Taylor had such low ownership this week. But yeah, that's true. Uh, yeah, I guess not. If, if Jefferson was like 3% and Taylor was 1%, or 2%, I can't remember. So then only one in, uh, if you multiply those two together, it's just yeah. a really small number of laps. So I'd have that combo. Now, what did you think of the Kansas City game in general? Uh, it sounds like you, you were under, and it looks like uh, that was true with Tiger Kill, although you had 20%, you used 27%. My general thesis is that uh, football is hard to predict. So if everyone is predicting that a game's going to be shootout, it pays to, to fade it. Is that what you were thinking with this one? Yeah, that's pretty much where I was. It was just like all the pieces of that game were getting so much ownership. Um, that I thought it was really difficult to make lineups that, you know, I thought were, were good and still just find contrarian pieces. Um, so, because like the thing was when you just, when you think about that game, Hill's expensive, Kelsey's expensive, Mahomes and Dak were expensive. Uh, CD lamb's expensive. Really the only value piece that you were, that, that you really could get to is Michael Gallup and feel, you know, you know, confident in it. So not only, so all those guys are popular and they're expensive. So if you're putting them into your lineups, you know, you're, you're getting popular guys, but then you need to find salary relief somewhere and the cheap running backs where you would look are all popular. So it just became really difficult to make uh, lineups that, that I thought were good, but also low enough owned. So um, I, I think I use these guys more so as one-offs um, or, you know, maybe Gallup Hill together, uh, but, you know, without the full stacks um, and then, you know, just loaded up on what was a little bit lower on Cincinnati. game. Nice. Yeah. I see that you you had a lot of T Higgins. Uh, so uh, 44% were a lot of those lineups with, uh, with bro, or did you like play a lot of unstacked exposure to that game too? Yeah. I just had a lot of that game. I had 47% Waller, 45% Higgins, 43% Carr, 38% Renfro, 30% Chase. I think I had like 16% uh, Burrow or something like that. Nice, man. Yeah, I think that was uh, definitely a reasonable strategy. It looks like you're all in on the Bears defense. That, that was a nice play because I feel like a lot of people might have missed out on because they built their lineups before Lamar Jackson was ruled out. So uh, clearly you were able to react to that news. Didn't pay yeah, off was, quite as much. Yeah, I was hoping they were going to be lower owned. Oh yeah, twelve percent. That that's uh, that's a little bit higher than I was expecting. I um, I saw that the uh, the Browns defense was the chalk defense at twenty seven percent. So, uh, I mean, anytime you get to play a backup quarterback with your defense, that's that's a win. So, uh, I see you got a lot of the Panthers defense as well. Uh, 
it looks like you you concentrated pretty heavily on a few different defenses. Is that something you do on a regular basis? No, it was a pretty weird week for me with with defenses. Um, normally, I end up pretty spread out because again, there's just so much volatility there, and you know, typically, I don't think that there's a, a big difference in in defenses. But uh, this week, just really heavy on the Bears, really heavy on the Panthers. Had a decent amount of Cleveland, but I was under the field there. Um, also had a lot of Seattle against uh, McCoy, which didn't go well at all, but um, no, this, this week was kind of weird for me in, in my defense exposures. Nice. Now, um, some of the other guys that you kind of needed Devonte Adams. It looks like uh, you were around the field. I was around the field. Uh, that one pretty obvious view of the money. He's always a great option. Uh, let's see. Uh, it looks like you were kind of out on Dak Prescott and the uh, CD lamb. So what about the Dallas stack made you think twice? Yeah, just the, the total ownership, um, kind of the same thing as the, you know, Gallup and, and Hill at the top, um, you know, in terms of ownership. It was just, I thought CD Lamb was a good play, but, you know, he was getting ownership as well and everything he correlated with was, was popular. So um, it just, he, he kind of just, you know, for me became a piece that I didn't get to because uh, I just couldn't build correlated lineups at low ownership in that game nice um <clears throat> do of these highest owned players do any stand out to you as maybe guys that uh that were overowned or uh like uh were there any plays that you thought everyone else was on that just weren't very good uh i wouldn't say not very good i think gallup stands out as being overowned just you know the chance, like you were saying before, the volatility um, of being the, you know, even with Cooper out, he's still behind CD lamb in the pecking order there. And he's a wide receiver, which we know there's a lot of um, inherent volatility as well. So uh, the amount of ownership he got, I thought was pretty crazy just relative to the, the chances of success. Uh, but no, I mean, I thought everybody that was getting that, that was popular, you know, made sense. Like, I think you can make a pretty strong case or, or it's just, you know, pretty obvious why, like all these guys at the top were popular. I'd say one that stands out to me is Rashad Bateman. He was 11% owned and uh, it made a lot of sense that he'd be high owned if Lamar Jackson was in because you had uh, Marquise Brown out. But once you're swapping to Tyler Huntley, that really hurts. So uh, it looks like he wasn't as high owned as he would be with Lamar Jackson, but still at 11%, it looks like you faded him completely. So that uh was that your thought process yeah once jackson was ruled out um i just bumped up the bears defense projection and i bumped down the projection of all the skill players on uh on baltimore so you know i i thought that huntley himself was kind of interesting just because he was 4100 and had a lot of rushing upside uh so i did actually just like force five percent like naked huntley and just throw those in um but i didn't really like pairing him with anything because you know i thought that I thought the most likely outcome was that the Baltimore offense would just suck. Um, I thought the second most likely outcome was that Huntley would do well for his salary, but that he probably wasn't really going to bring these guys along with him. Yeah, I agree. I think that one, um, Huntley was pretty intriguing being a rushing quarterback, but that really hurts the expectation of the receivers. Uh, all right, let's uh, switch over to some stacks and sort by quarterback ownership. But before we get into the stacks, uh, let's talk about our sponsor, No House Advantage. So they uh, have DFS contests, except instead of playing, picking players, you pick player props. 
you rank them in confidence from highest to lowest, and then you you get uh, a share of the prize pool if you get enough right. Very similar to DFS. So the nice thing is a lot of props, like you would bet against the house normally. The house is a lot smarter than your average show. So if you play on no house advantage with the props, you can get a much bigger edge. You can get the promo, uh, $25 free with the promo code Osmo. Uh, you can enter a bunch of lamps at once and you, uh, you can play NFL showdown, NFL main slates afternoon. They got a lot of different prizes all throughout the week, NBA as well. Go to nohouseadvantage.com and to the app store. All right. So let's look at the, the quarterback ownership. I think uh, this week uh, it was pretty clear that Kansas City Dallas with that 56 point total was the one that everyone was going to be in on. But uh, there were a lot of other games that, that had pretty high totals. One was that Cincinnati Las Vegas game that you mentioned. It looks like you had a ton of Derek Carr. So uh, it looks like uh, Joe Burrow was pretty popular at 11%, but Carr at 7%. Not nearly as much. So, uh, I mean, it didn't pay off this time, but you feel good about the process. Yeah, I feel good about it. Um, the only thing that kind of stood out to me that, you know, again, was kind of unusual was I ended up a little bit more concentrated than usual, um, just kind of jamming everything into that game. But, like, looking at, at the slate, I still just kind of feel good about the way that, that I played it because there weren't a lot of spots I really liked getting to. So um, I didn't think the opportunity cost was quite as high as it normally is, especially once, you know, like, like I had said before, once I, it was difficult to build lineups around Mahomes or Dak that I, that I thought were, were good. Um, there wasn't really a whole lot else I wanted to get to. So getting to a low owned car, I thought, and, and you know, kind of just having a lot of different combinations there made sense. Yeah, I think uh, that was a good play. I mean, he's got a lot of great receivers. Hunter Renfro was pretty popular this week and Waller as well, but no one had the full stack, uh, only 7%. So that, that seems like a good spot. And uh, Cincinnati can put up some points. That one was liable to shoot out. If everyone is playing the other side, it makes sense to, to play the Raiders. The one that I was trying to, to capitalize on was this Jets and uh, Miami game. Now, I, I see you had a good amount of Tua Tango Vilo as well. I was just, it looks like he was pretty popular at 8%, but he was the value play that I felt really confident in being a favorite with the Jets and having Waddle and Jasicki as great options to pair with. So, um, were you surprised to see that he was 8% owned? And how did you feel about that stack? Yeah, I mean, I thought the ownership made sense just because he was cheap. I thought he was a viable cash option. I didn't, I ended up not using him, but, um, you know, whenever somebody I, I think is viable in cash, like you just see a lot of ownership in tournaments, but I still thought 8% was fine because uh, he, the, the, you could stack him with pieces that were really useful. You know, Jalen Waddle was cheap, had a really high ceiling, tight, tight end this week wasn't that great. Like if you weren't able to pay up for Kelsey or uh, Darren Waller, this wasn't a week where I thought there were like a, there were a ton of really good cheap tight ends. So being able to use Jasicki in a stack, um, I thought made a lot of sense and made Tua look more appealing as well. So it, it drove up how much Tua I was getting. Nice. Yeah, I think that whenever you like the quarterbacks and or sorry the wide receivers and uh, tight ends, then it makes sense to have that quarterback exposure. And Waddle was one of the better cheap wide receivers of the week. So. That was a, a line of construction that pretty much built itself. Now, uh, 
the bill stack that I was surprised that only 8% ownership for Josh Allen, this one didn't really pay off, but man, the potential was so high because Indianapolis like had such a big week and then Jonathan Taylor in the same game could have been the ultimate run back, but that was a little disappointing that, that they weren't able to put that, put up some more points. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, I'm with you. I was kind of surprised I didn't get more. I ended up right around the field on Allen. Um, but yeah, I, was, I, I thought he was a good play. You know, he was, he was expensive, but he worked as a pivot away, you know, getting about half the ownership of, of Mahomes and, and Dak. So uh, very, very high ceiling there. I think from a roster construction standpoint, I just ended up uh, preferring going a little bit cheaper, but that I thought was a really good play. And I was kind of surprised that uh, I didn't get to more. It looks like Rin Pack. So a single entered this one and he had Tyler Huntley. So that was uh that was an interesting one because uh, he must have built this lineup right towards the end. Now, Huntley was only 5% owned. That's actually a little bit higher than I would think for a guy that you didn't even know was going to play until an hour and a half before. So did you think there was a big edge in swapping to Huntley since no, people wouldn't have time to really set their lineups? I didn't think there was really a big edge because, you know, again, I thought that the most likely outcome was just that that game would be an ugly mess and nothing really useful would come of it. But I did um, just kind of force, like I, I just locked him in fan. I, I didn't even like rerun um, crunches with Huntley in. I just made my lineups as usual and then decided that I would just play 5% Huntley. So I just locked him in fantasy cruncher naked ran like created eight lineups that, you know, I thought were good and threw them in because um, so, yeah, it's like, I didn't, it's not that I thought it was like a huge edge playing him, but I just thought that there was enough uncertainty there that I wanted at least a little bit of exposure. Nice. Now the uh, couple of guys I was in on Russell Wilson, uh, man, that, that was a little bit frustrating as well. Uh, but going up against Arizona, they were a sizable favorite. And uh, I mean, he's got two great receivers with, uh, with Lockett and Metcalf, but it seems like, the, the magic just hasn't been there. He's been really struggling. Uh, and that happened again at this week at 8% or 8, per, 8 fantasy points, but he was only 3% owned. So seeing that ownership, do you wish you had had more or, or uh, why do you think he was so low owned? Yeah. I mean, I think that's a really good play at that, that ownership level. Like I would not have been upset <laughs> if I got more because not only does Wilson give you a really high ceiling um, and, and you know, he's low owned, but, I'm not sure how popular Lockett and Metcalf were, but I don't think they were projected for much ownership. I thought that there were two guys that were kind of going overlooked as well. So uh, it was a situation where you could just get a really high upside stack at low ownership. So um, yeah, I, I think he was a really good play. One thing that kind of stands out to me, Tyrod Taylor was only 1% owned, which was interesting because Brandon Cooks, his wide receiver one was pretty chalky. I think he was like 15%. So is that something you ever look for is trying to get leverage on the field by just taking the quarterback of a receiver that, that's yeah. popular? Yeah, I do that a lot. Um, I, I think typically if you go back and look at my quarterback exposures in a lot of situations, you can kind of just like, you, you'll see that my, my highest own quarterbacks were driven up because I was rostering their receivers or their, their tight ends. Like this week with Derek Carr, it wasn't so much that um, I love Derek Carr or anything. It was that I really, it's that I got a ton of Waller. I got a ton of his receivers. And so it was just like, oh, I can just throw this low owned quarterback in there and complete the stack. Uh, same kind of thing. You know, I, I didn't do it, but same sort of logic with Tyrod Taylor, where, you know, if you're, if you were playing a lot of Brandon Cooks, one way you can just naturally differentiate is to have his quarterback as well. 
Yeah, I agree. One that really stands out here is Taylor Heineke was only 0.2%. Terry McLaurin's a great player, so you got kind of a, a stack, and it's going up against one of the more popular quarterbacks, Cam Newton, so that one was kind of interesting. Uh, I didn't end up getting a ton, but is there anyone that on the low end side at quarterback that you wish you'd had more? Um, not, not really. Uh, I mean, obviously wish I'd had more McCoy this week and, and less last week, but, um, no, there wasn't really much, you know, Heineke, I think was fine, but like McLaurin was a good tournament play, I thought, but not somebody that I was really building around. Um, Jalen Hurts, I thought was an interesting play. I think I had a lot of him on the early slate, but not really on the main. Um, but he was someone that, it, you know, he, he's a rushing quarterback and it seemed like he kind of just was going overlooked because he hasn't been that great recently. You know, he had those big games earlier in the year where mostly he got there on garbage time, but you know, with, with, with as uh, much rushing upside as he gives you, he's pretty much always a, a high upside option. So, you know, that's one where I, I guess I wish I played a little bit more. Um, we got a question from Dojai three M's in the chat. He says, what is a good ownership total on GPP on FanDuel? So, uh, one of the things I like to do is I'll just crunch in Fancy Cruncher. Like you can select a crunch by ownership projection, so you just see the total maximum ownership, and then go in at like seventy-five to eighty percent of that as a target. How do you handle like ownership uh, for your lineups? Yeah, I mean, for me, I think that's a really good that's a really good idea. What you said. Um, for me, it's mostly just that I end up comparing them to each other, so it it naturally sorts itself out so that um, I'm getting you know, I guess what I would consider like the right amount of ownership because it's going to vary by slate, you know, like you're going to have some slates like yesterday where it's just naturally going to be a little bit higher because of guys like Jeff Wilson and AJ Dillon, um, other slates where you don't have, you know, those very obvious values, it's going to be lower. So it's definitely, I think the most important thing would be making sure that you're not just going in with some number in mind, you know, like every slate, I'm going to play, you know, a lineup that has 120% ownership or something like that. Um, Like you were saying, you know, figuring out what the maximum is on the slate or, you know, in my case, kind of comparing them to each other so that you get uh, you, you get a good like estimate of what it should be for that slate. Agreed. Yeah, I think that uh, it, it's tricky because the slate size changes, especially this week where we got Thanksgiving. So uh, it's tough to recommend like a, a static number there. Um, let's look at some sleeper picks. So let's just sort by uh, ownership. Uh, let's go look at your sleepers first. So let's sort by total uh, ownership from highest to lowest. And I'll just pick out some players that you are above the field and we'll talk about those. So um, Cole Beasley, 7%. That one really stands out. You had 24, I had 22. I'm surprised that he was so low owned. I mean, this guy has been having huge weeks. What do you think? Yeah, I, I think that I actually didn't realize till right now that I had that much, but um, I, I think that he made sense. You know, we, we talked about Gallup uh, being wildly popular at 4200 um Beasley you know yeah the game wasn't as appealing as the Kansas City game but uh and you know Beasley does have a tendency to disappear at times but you still have a cheap receiver playing with one of the best quarterbacks on the slate at virtually no ownership so um I I thought the ceiling was really high for his salary I thought that uh, he was a good way to to, you know mix in a lower own player that still had a high ceiling Agreed. Yeah. I mean, I think that the cheap, the cheap wide receivers were really tough this week and he was low owned and we already knew the upside's high just because the time catches. So that one I feel good about, uh, Michael Carter, 
5% owned, I had 12%, you had 18%. It seems like this matchup versus the, the Dolphins could have worked really well for, for the Jets. It just didn't really pay off this time. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, Carter got pretty unlucky, too, because he got injured, but he also had, like, a 39-yard run in the first quarter where he was tackled at the goal line and didn't get in. So um, it, it easily could have been a really good game for, for Carter. But I thought that he made a lot of sense because he was low-owned. He was relatively inexpensive at 5,800. So he kind of lets you keep that same roster construction where you're paying down at running back, but he saved you a lot of ownership off of the more popular guys. And then he also correlated positively with – our Miami stacks, you know, we both played a lot of two, we played a lot of the, the Miami game, our Miami side. So uh, mixing in Carter, I thought just made a lot of sense. And, and really, I think he got pretty unlucky. Agreed. Yeah. He, he ended up having, I think, six, 70 yards rushing or 60 to 70. So that was pretty good outcome. Just didn't get in the end zone. Uh, Alex Collins was another cheap running back that you had a bunch of at 14%. I had 6%. So the field only had 2%. This one I thought was going really overlooked because this is a guy that gets the majority of the work on a team that was a favorite versus uh, Arizona, who is starting their backup quarterback. So I felt like that was a guy that just was super under the radar. Unfortunately, the the like under the radar running backs that did well were just at a totally different price. So uh, I think that was a good one. Now, uh, I see you had a lot of Jacob, Josh Jacobs and Brian Edwards. I take it that was mostly because you had a lot of stacks in the game. Yeah, it was just those guys being pulled up because of, of those stacks. Okay, cool. Uh, Terry McLaurin, 1%. You had 5%. Is that another one? I, I didn't see how much Cam Newton you had, but it didn't look like a ton. No, I didn't that, have much Cam. So do you try to get more exposure to those like high price guys that have high upside, but maybe not the best from a value perspective? Yeah, I think it was just a, a function of, you know, I was playing a lot of, of cheap running backs um, and McLaurin, I, I think, gave you a little bit of a discount in terms of ceiling. You know, he was 7K, uh, whereas, you know, a lot of the other top tier receivers are, you know, 8K plus, obviously playing with Heineke and in that game in general, he doesn't project as well as those other top tier guys. But from a talent standpoint, he's cheap uh he he projected reasonably well and that low ownership so uh, i i did like getting to him a bit nice and then uh of course jonathan taylor was the guy we we needed you had 1.3 percent i had 2.7 percent only 3.5 percent owned so that one's uh that one's tough because it's hard to figure out like should, i had one percent should i've had like three percent like that that seems like a tough line to, to draw yeah. And the, the issue for me, too, is I'm pretty sure both lineups that I had him in were Josh Allen stacks, so they were essentially useless. Yeah, man. I uh, I had him in mostly Josh Allen stacks, too, although, uh, yeah. Um, all right, sorting by my ownership, looks like uh, Gerald Everett I had in some of the Russell Wilson stacks. You had a bit, but he was only 2% owned. I guess we didn't really talk talk a lot, a lot about tight end in general, but I know Darren Waller was uh, a great option as well as Kelsey this week. How did you approach the tight end position? Yeah, I ended up a little bit more concentrated um, at tight end this week than I normally do because I thought it was just a little bit different week. Like normally you get, you know, some combination of Waller, Kelsey, Kittle as payoff options, uh, maybe Pitts, but then you get like a bunch of, you know, 3,500 to 4K tight ends that have, you know, not great projections, but plenty of touchdown equity. 
And so a lot of times I just end up rotating through those guys, especially if they're going to be low owned. Um, this week, I didn't really think the options down there were that good. Just, you know, the teams playing and the, the options that you had. So that's another reason I think I ended up with so much of the Oakland game was Waller just looked really good to me getting a little bit less ownership than Kelsey, but also, um, you know, just where I didn't think that there were as many good value tight ends. Uh, so I paid up for Waller a lot. I like paying up for Jasicki a lot. Uh, I like Dallas Goddard. You know, I, I went a little bit more concentrated at tight end than I normally do because I just didn't think there were quite as many good options. Nice, man. Yeah, so you didn't have much Dan Arnold. I saw everyone was tilting that he put up a bagel. <laughs> yeah. So that was, that was a kind of crazy result. But like that one it seemed really fluky that he's scored as many points as he has so far this year. Um, but maybe it's because uh, tight end in general hasn't been a great position in fantasy. Uh, all right. And then let's uh, – Let's look at the schedule for the rest of the day. So we got, uh, of course, a ton of great NBA content. You were just on the strategy show that uh, was with Josh. So you guys can go on the channel. If you uh, haven't already subscribed to the channel, hit that subscribe button. We got the betting show coming up after this. That's on Osmo Odds. And then we have a fancy football channel, which uh, we're having a show later today as well. NHL, NFL, NBA, all today. So uh, we have two hours up to lock with NBA. Me and Adam are going to be making a comeback. And then NFL Live Before Lock later today. So make sure to, to check out all of our content. Now, um, let's, uh, let's, uh, let's talk about some final thoughts on this slate here. So I know that... Uh, uh, this was a, a, a fluky slate. So let's just talk about that a little bit. Like, it, was this slate like unusual and how many low end plays got there? Or was that just kind of like the norm, except uh, maybe a different twist on it? Yeah. I mean, I think it was unusual in the fact that like almost every top play was, was low owned. You're always going to have low owned plays that get there, but normally the, there's going to be a lot of popular plays at the top as well, because typically the popular plays are, you know, the best plays are the most likely to succeed. So that that's what was really weird about it was I think not necessarily that, you know, you had the Jonathan Taylor, Justin Jefferson, Aaron Rodgers type performances, just, you know, low on guys doing well, that's always going to happen. It's just that there was like nobody popular that did well. So like, I know, you know, you've, re- you've mentioned it before. I typically, end up with similar lineups where like two thirds of my lineup is pretty popular. And then one third is, is contrarian. Those lineups basically just had no chance this week because none of the popular guys did anything. So that's what made it really difficult. That's I think what was really unusual more so than the fact that, you know, low on guys did well, because that's pretty much always going to happen. Definitely. Yeah. That was, uh, it was a definitely a day that the contrarian players got rewarded extra. Uh, now, uh, one other element of slates that's really changes from week to week is what stack type takes it down. So we saw in the Millie maker that a lineup that just had a very loose correlation, Cam Newton plus tight end, and then a run back with Terry McLaurin was what got it done. This one was interesting because I feel like if you did have Aaron Rodgers plus MVS and Devonte Adams, like, that would have been a viable build, but uh, it seemed like a lot of like the Millie Maker lineup wasn't even close to that. So, was there anything you noticed from a stacking perspective? Um, I think just 
in, in general, the stacks this week were a little bit less important than they normally are because, I mean, obviously, like in the slant, uh, you had the the full Green Bay stack, but when you had the all the popular plays from the Kansas City game fail, um, you know that that made it. You know, that was a stack that that a lot of people had that failed, but you just had like these independent, these individual like outlier performances from Jefferson and Taylor. You know where I think it was, it just ended up being more important to have at least one of those guys than whichever stack you got to. Um, and I think that's, you know, I think typically on slates where a lot of chalk fails, then your stacking typically, I think is going to become a little bit less important and it's going to be more important just to have those individual guys that did really well. Definitely. Yeah. This is one, I think you, you nailed it where uh, I think the problem was you needed Taylor and Jefferson and if you had that Rodgers plus Devontae Adams stack, you just couldn't afford that. So even though the stack really performed well, it just was impossible to get to the winning combination this particular week. Now, I feel like on most slates, there's not such an outlier where there's a guy you absolutely like have to have, like Jonathan Taylor. So that was a little bit weird. But um, you're right. The slant lineup that won with Mossy two Green Bay receivers plus the run back. So that was a little bit more conventional. Um, let's talk a Hall of Fame real quick. So, guys, we have an avatar contest where if you uh, download the avatar at awesome.com slash avatar and then you place top three in a tournament, you get to be in our Hall of Fame and you get a free month of Osmo plus Platinum in the boot. You just got to tweet at us, uh, share your success, and – we're all uh, trying to draw some inspiration from the community. And who better to draw inspiration from than Jordan Lockhart, a.k.a. Locks 262 He's been on fire recently. He won 100K uh, in the Monster this past week, and he tied for first in uh, the night slate on the same night. He's uh, He had another takedown since then, so maybe we'll get to that. But uh, congrats, Jordan. Brett Dumphone 365 or Rayleigh 25 tied for first in the mini max with another awesome member. So congrats to Brett mini max. There's a ton of entries that that one's a great one to hone your skills because uh, it's actually tougher than the higher stakes, large field one. That's like $15. But if you're winning at the mini max, that will definitely give you confidence to move up and you get that free month to boot. Pickens 81. He got first. Uh, he had Alex Caruso. That usually means good things. So congrats to Pickens. Jack Loud, third in the DK NHL, $4. He uh, you only get uh, 20 entries, but he didn't need 20. He only needed to finish third, 500 bucks. Jake, uh, Jake and the gang do great work with NHL. So if you guys play NHL DFS, make sure to subscribe. Sean Zahn tied for first in the Monday Night Millionaire Maker. And then last night, he got first again. So he uh, totaled 50, 50K plus between those two. Sean does a lot of great work behind the scenes with projections and developing new products. So congrats to Sean. News God always hitting the the uh, parlays. And last night was no exception. Or uh, I guess this one was the NFL one yesterday. Hit a... Uh, Five leg parlay got 131 bucks. Maybe it's four legs. Anyway, uh, and then he tweeted another parlay in NBA where he won $115. So congrats to, to News God. And then uh, the Hall of Fame, we got a ton of a ton of winners to, to celebrate here. So Jordan Lockhart again, 
25k congrats jordan uh that's like i got we're gonna use to saying that he's he's definitely up and comer bill said uh he won a hundred dollars off a quarter entry winner take all so uh that was a pretty nice one nfl showdown congrats bill we got uh Adloff, he uh he would have gotten the the win, but they took away a sack. Whew. That's uh that's rough, but uh still a nice finish. Uh J one eight seven. He had uh some chop suey for first in the FanDuel single game. Uh so he he ended up having a nice score with twelve hundred bucks. That was last night, so uh, that was uh, a crazy game, and he paid it off. Joseph, he finished third on the night slate, so congrats to Joseph. A lot of uh, a lot of winners recently. Jacksman third in uh, NBA, and we had Ginger Hammers. He had a lot of good lineups, but he won the three point stance, three entries. Uh, so congrats to Ginger Hammers. Nice lineups there. Adam, uh, any final thoughts on the lineup review for for this week and what we can take forward uh, for next week? Uh, so I guess one thing, um, I've said it before too, but like weeks like this, I think if you are going back and looking, like trying to, to evaluate your process, I think it's important to keep in mind that there are also just going to be some weeks where like you're not going to win, like you essentially have no chance at winning. Like you don't want to necessarily look back at a week like this and say like, oh, I'm stacking too much or I'm playing, you know, too much chalk necessarily. You know, maybe you are, but, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't look at a week like this and, and like draw that, draw that conclusion. I think it's important to, um, you know, be aware, like obviously always try and improve what you're doing and, and learn, but you also just, you, you don't want to necessarily just like every week be tailoring what you're, what you do to what, like would have worked the week before. I think it's important to just recognize there are some weeks where weird stuff happens and uh, that you're just not necessarily like, like you're just not going to have a chance every single week. Definitely. I mean, NFL is such a, a trip to, to play because the unexpected happens every single week. I mean, I had a good night when the Patriots won like in a shutout. So like it, everyone was like, Oh, that game was horrible. But then that ended up working out for me in DFS uh, this week. It's like the guys that you didn't expect to, to pay off. Like they had huge performances and you needed them to win. I think like the thing is, it's really hard hard to to hit a winning lineup. You basically need it's basically a, like a parlay where you need your stack and then the six one offs to do well, which the odds of that aren't that good, uh, regardless of how you do it. But this is all about maximizing those odds, and uh, I think uh, it showed us that not to get too comfortable with just playing the the plays that sound good. You need to mix in some of those guys that that aren't maybe not be as exciting all right guys uh thanks for tuning in here make sure to check out our sponsor no house advantage playing their dfs prop contests and uh hopefully we can we can carry this forward to, to week 12 get some wins we got two opportunities with thanksgiving and with the sunday slate make sure to to like and subscribe so that you can get in on all the content and we'll see you guys uh See you guys next week.